Welcome back to The Edge. I'm Steve Brigman here on the horn with my buddy Aaron Martin, and we've got a good show on tap. Brought to you, as always, by our good friends at MegaWare Keelguard. Guard your boat against grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete boat ramps with Keelguard Keel Protector. So, Aaron, we got a couple of guests returning to the edge today. We do have a couple of guests returning, Steve, but, uh, you know, before we kind of dive off into that, where in the world are you? Are you you're, you're probably fishing, aren't you? Oh, it's not important. You know, we're, <laughs> we're here on the edge. <laughs> on the edge today and you know i just uh yeah yeah okay i'm, I'm close to the water let's say that okay i will we'll leave it as that well as always it's good to be with you and we do have a good show lined up as Brent Ayler is going to join us to talk a little bit about topwater, share his knowledge with us on that, and then we'll be heading down south to talk with Pam Martin-Wells concerning fishing vegetation. Plus, another announcement I think that a lot of people actually have been waiting for and certainly has been long overdue, but it's regarding the new DVD out on the Bass Edge website. So look forward to talking about all of those things. Well, we've also got some great listener questions and some exciting news from the Bass Edge family. So let's just do it. Like that one, boy. Good job. I don't know of any other sport that offers the challenge of bass fishing. Guys. That's full contact fishing right Man. there. Conditions are going to be tough, but we'll catch them. This is, this is a good place. It's all about figuring it out. What do you think of that, huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh did you see yes, that? Yes, I saw that. That was awesome. <laughs> Holy cow. You're listening to The Edge. Everything bass fishing from the Bass Edge Studios, high above Table Rock Lake in the Missouri Ozarks. Well, Aaron, I have to admit, you don't look as sleepy-eyed as a lot of new parents I've seen. Well, you, you know, Steve, I've got to be truthful. Diana's doing all the heavy lifting. You know, I'm, it's kind of staying up late, you know, getting up early, and she's yeah, kind why of... why doesn't that surprise me? <laughs> she's, she's kind of taking care of everything in between, and, of course, I'm talking about, you know, the new addition that we had to the Martin household for those uh, who possibly did not see that on Facebook, and that is Malia, uh, born April 3rd, 8 pounds, 2 ounces, 22 two inches long so we are extremely excited to have her aboard kathy and i are really excited to get down to, to meet her you know I'm, I'm still trying to picture you changing a diaper I, <laughs> I know at some point you probably do but uh i don't know i think i'd have to see that for myself of course it's your second daughter maya and you've already started her fishing so uh i guess that's what's uh what's up for malia when she gets old enough to hold a fishing pole you know, that is the plan, and, and of course, like most parents, I plan on uh, making that introduction, kind of letting her run with it, and uh, if she's anything like Maya, she'll love it when the fish are biting and be probably more interested in uh, swimming over the edge of the boat uh, when the activity is not quite so good. So anyway, it's, it's regardless, a lot of fun, and uh, she is certainly just a blessing to both of our lives. Well, you know, you and I have talked so, so many times about how blessed that we are that we had parents that, you know, took us fishing, uh, but introduced us to the outdoors and took us hunting and camping. And what a great foundation that was for life, not just to become involved in the outdoors, but, uh, man, is, is there any more quality family time? Great point. And, and I am, I, I was certainly one of the lucky ones. Um, a lot of people know my story, but it, it kept me out of a lot of trouble. Also taught me a lot about, you know, just conservation, 
being able to pass that on to future generations. Some of the memories and the times that I've had with uh, various family members, my dad in particular, um, you know, you and I certainly been out with friends. Uh, just it, It's just such a rewarding sport. And now, Steve, you know, even, of course, the collegiate fishing came on very strong. And now we're seeing this huge push even at the high school level. And all I can say is it's just a good thing that those things did not exist when I was still part of the uh, the education system. Otherwise, I, I probably would have had a tough time graduating. You know, I think you have to actually make your grades to fish. <laughs> hey, I'm just glad I'm just glad to hear that you uh, that you are now out of trouble. Oh, I'm but, sure uh, you are. I think that is so cool. The the, the high school and the collegiate levels, because just like I mentioned, you know, uh, I think it's like uh, college sports, and and, and and there's some debate and question about how appropriate even college sports are. But, you know, uh, there's a lot of kids that get an opportunity to go to college that might not otherwise have had that opportunity had they not been a great basketball or football player. And I think that's, you know, hopefully that will result, you know, high school fishing and collegiate fishing. You know, hopefully that will result in more young people having an opportunity to get a good education. Well, absolutely. And I, you know, I had the opportunity to go out during uh Oh, a couple months ago when the FLW collegiate fishing was actually in town. And, you know, flat out, a couple of the guys that I had fished with, you know, they just said I'd never in a million years would they have thought that they would have had the opportunity to go to college and then kind of, you know, surround that with the sport of fishing. It finds an outlet uh, for that and just so many benefits from that. Too many actually to be listed in, in my opinion, but uh, certainly I think we're just really on the fringe of seeing what is going to come out of those types of programs. Well, that's true. And of course, you know, I did a tremendous amount of fishing in my first college career. <laughs> you know, I was went to school in Nacogdoches right next to about a six or seven year old Sam Rayburn down in Texas. <laughs> and I fished a lot. Let me just say uh, that's probably a big reason why I went back and graduated <laughs> in my 30s. But uh, anyway, Aaron, season three DVDs. I've been waiting for this, and I, I know, you know, it just brings back so many fond memories of filming all of those and 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 all the good times we had. And, man, all the good fish we caught. We had a great we had a great year. We did. And, you know, just not only the locations that we went, but the guests, you know, we're talking Scott Suggs, Denny Brower, Boyd Duckett, James Niggemeyer, Pam Martin-Wells, Jared Littner, just to really name a few. And, you know, on the DVD that we just came out with, there is actually over 10 hours of footage, Steve, a lot of footage that has never before been seen or aired on TV. We've got all the audio interviews with uh, each of the shows, Pro Anglers, uh, the highlight reel. I mean, just a lot of great things going on there. So I encourage all those emails that we've been getting over the last several months. Hey, when is this coming out? It is now live. Simply go to the Bass Edge website. They're at BassEdge.com. And uh, right on the front page, you're going to see the link that will click you right over into that. And you can now be the proud owner of the Bass Edge Season 3 DVD. Well, I have not seen the final product, and I'm anxious because uh, like we, we had such a good time, and it was so neat. You know, I think one of the great things about that is some of the traveling we did. We shot in Florida, California, Minnesota. Well, what am I leaving out here? I mean, we, we went all over the place. Oh, we did. In Texas, obviously, Texas is always a, a major player on the, on the Potomac. I mean, there's just so many things. Things that uh, that come into that, and I don't care where you are at geographically. Um, there is something in there for you, and we're just proud to put our name on this. And certainly, hats off to all of the pro anglers that stepped up and uh, you know really made it possible for this thing to even be able to come to market. Well, you know, we hope we can get all that put back together and get back out there to do that again. 
But uh, this has the tone of me and you sitting around uh, uh, reminiscing a little too much. Uh, and we've got some great anglers on board. Boy, we do. And uh, you know what? Looks like Brent has officially called in. Let's go catch up with Brent and uh, see what he has to say, talking a little bit about topwater. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. KeelGuard keel protectors. Hey, Edge listeners, this is Terry Backsay. Hi, I'm Jamie Cyphers. I'm Diddy Brower. This is Michael Murphy. I'm Randy Howell. Hey, this is Kevin Van Dam, and you're listening to The Edge. Joining us today is returning guest and really a kind of expert for Bass Edge, and that is Mr. Brent Ayler. Brent, welcome to the show, man. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me on again. I appreciate it. Well, Brent, the other day I read a piece where the writer said you were fishing better than anyone on the planet. Hey, and by the way, congratulations on another win at Lake Hardwell in March. Thank you. That was a, a, a very fun term at Hardwell. Really just a lot of fish in it and uh, you know, a lot of big spotted bass, a lot of big largemouth. And it, it's a fun pattern like you kind of run around the lake and fish something that looks similar to, you know, if you find them doing one certain thing, you can run around the whole lake and catch them that same way. So it's really a fun place to fish. Of course, and seeing you at top of the leaderboard is uh, nothing new. You've shown just enormous consistency out there on the FLW trails. Talk to us about consistency. What do you think makes you a consistent angler and sets you apart from other anglers? I think that it's, it's decision-making on the water. And, you know, I think that you don't always make the right decisions, but it really comes down to just a changing and adapting to the condition. And, you know, for instance, I, I just got done with Beaver Lake out here. and I, I ended up fishing a completely different way in the tournament than I did all three days of practice. And it was just one of those things where something looked right on the first day of the tournament, I went and did it, I caught him and ended up making it inside that top 20. So I think it's just, you know, sometimes making those right decisions and, you know, being able to adapt, you know, faster than some of the other guys. I, I, I think that's probably it. And a strong work ethic, you know, I work very hard out there. I, I practice, you know, long hours every day. You know, that we're allowed to fish. I'm not just from dark to dark, and in the summertime, that's you know 14 hour days. So I think just a strong work ethic, and hopefully making the right decisions out there as well. Well, Brent, uh, kind of in particular, you know, dating back to the the Hartwell, the March tournament, you know, many of those fish that you caught were actually on, I believe, on deep structure, really on a lake that that didn't have a great deal of deep water structure. We're coming into the season where a lot of fish are starting to you know begin setting up on drop offs and humps. You know, on a lake, say, like home lake of Table Rock or even, you know, just a little bit further down the White River that you just left was uh, actually Beaver. It has a lot of such places. How do you identify kind of the best spots to start or begin your searching? It's difficult and it varies. And usually what I end up doing is just really, I fish a lot of different stuff in practice. And it takes me a little while to get onto something and you know, sometimes you get lucky and you find something quick, but really a lot of it is just, you know, almost eliminating stuff and trying everything. I mean, here at Beaver Lake, uh, you know, or let's say it's a table rock or something. I mean, I'd fish anywhere from, you know, deep bluff walls to, you know, long tapered points to throwing a buzz bait in the back of a pocket. I mean, it, it, all in one day, you know, you'll fish from two to 50 feet. So I try to just kind of get on to some little key that will get me going in the right direction and 
really it's just kind of a process of elimination. Well, Brent, you know, we're kind of sliding into the warmer months here. It's kind of getting to be topwater time in a lot of places. And I know you're a big topwater fishing fan. And being a California guy, I'm guessing you like to fish frogs. What are the different topwater techniques that you employ throughout the year? And how do you decide when to use each? It depends on the structure. You know, if uh, if you go to a lake that has a lot of grass in it, or um, it doesn't have to necessarily be like a hydrilla or something like that. It could be, a let's say, at Table Rock, if uh, the water comes up suddenly and there's some of that hay grass. I call it hay grass. I don't know what you guys call it. It's just shoreline grass. You know, something like that, you'll, you'll want to go frog. But uh, if you get to the deeper stuff, like the table rock cedar trees, you know, something like that, where you have those big cedar trees out off the bank, then if that's where I'll throw, like, a electrocraft gunfish, if you have that shoreline grass or hydrilla or something, then that's where I'll go with a frog. But for the most part, I, I try and keep it simple and just go with, like, a gunfish because that's one of my favorite ones. And then if there's a lot of cover, then that's where I'll go to a frog. So, really, those are kind of my, my two specific baits. You brought up as far as throwing a buzz bait in the back of the pocket, can you break down, I'm always a little bit confused on how to break down, you know, a buzzbait versus, say, a frog or like your gunfish, which is going to resemble more of your stick style, you know, topwater. Gotcha. You know, the uh, the reason why I went with the, with the buzzbait is, you know, for some reason, early in the year, they'll bite a buzzbait better than they will a walking bait or a frog or something like that. And I don't know what it is about a buzz bait. You could pick that thing up in the middle of wintertime and catch a fish on it. And for some reason, early season buzz bait and, you know, kind of around that spawn seems to be very popular. And that's kind of the reason why I picked it up. But believe me, I, I made five casts and I put it down and knew that wasn't the direction I was going to go. <laughs> That was, that was one of those, you know, early elimination things that I was talking about. But, you know, they, uh, the buzz bait is a great bait, and, you know, that's something that I will use around, you know, shoreline grass, shallow water, kind of in the same conditions that I throw a frog. And, and I do use that one quite a bit, and I, I actually, you know, failed to mention that before. But uh, the buzz bait is a great early season one. It's, it's a great, you know, late season one, too. But uh, that's something that is easy to cover a lot of water, and that's a great searching tool to wear. Maybe you find the type of areas that those fish are hiding in with the buzzbait, and after you can come back later with the frog and slow down on those smaller stretches and catch them. Well, does color, you know, when you're 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 throwing topwater, you know, you hear the, the the fish are looking up. Obviously, it's a reaction style bait. Do you feel that color plays a huge role, you know, in the response to a topwater? A little bit, you know, not not as much. I mean, I think that. Uh, I keep it very, you know, very basic. I, I almost always, when I'm throwing a gunfish, it's almost always some sort of a ghost color. And in the Lightcraft series, anything that has a ghost name and it means it's kind of a see-through color. And to me, that is a better bait. I think that, you know, when you're throwing a gunfish-style bait, it's usually in clearer water and deeper water. And to me, clear and deep is a transparent kind of a ghost color. If you're going to throw something shallow like a buzz bait or... You know, like a frog, you're obviously going to have a solid color. You know, a frog for me is either white or black, one of those two. And, and you know, buzzbait or frog, both. It's either white or black, and that's it. And that's usually a shallow water, a little bit off-color water, a little bit dingier water, something that's brighter and stands out more. So, you know, the deep stuff, clear. You know, the, the, the transparent colors, the shallow stuff go with those brighter colors. Well, Brian, we're going to get you to help us out with a listener question. It's a little broad, but it's from Matt in Columbia, South Carolina. And Matt says, I live on a reservoir near Columbia, South Carolina. The lake has varying depths with about 25 feet at its deepest. The shoreline is grassy and a lot of trees in and around the water. 
what should I do to catch fish here? Fishing off the dock usually yields nice brim, but I want to catch big, largemouth bass. What would be the best bait? I also have access to a boat, so traveling the lake is not a problem. That's a great question, and, you know, I, I grew up fishing from the bank, I and mean, that's what I did. I, I walked the shorelines. You know, any, any lake I went to, I'd just grab a little backpack and fill it with a bunch of baits and walk the shoreline. And the best thing I could say is cover water, you know, just like you would in a boat. Or if you are in a boat, just move around, fish around a lot, and don't sit on one spot, don't sit on that one pier and fish, you know, just walk the banks and cover water. Two type of baits that I would really key on is some sort of Texas rig worm, and, and to me, a Yamamoto Senko is the best worm you can throw all year long, you know, day in, day out, any body of water, that worm will catch fish, and I would do one of two things. I would either just weightless, you know, Texas rig, or throw it with like a shaky head, a Picasso, like an eight-ounce shaky head. Those two styles, you're going to catch them anywhere you go. And, you know, throw that bait if you want to fish slow. If you want to fish fast, you know, if you're in a boat, throw a crankbait. If you're on the bank, I wouldn't throw a crankbait because you're going to get it hung up a lot. You know, that thing's going to be diving right into the rocks. You're going to break off a lot of crankbaits. So if you're in a boat, I would throw a Lexicraft 1.5 if you're from the bank. I throw that gunfish, you know, and just fish and just cover water. And I, you know, it's, it's kind of funny to say that when you're fishing from the bank, cover water, but, you know, cover shoreline. You just walk the bank and just continue moving because you'll get around them at some point. Well, that's certainly good advice, not only to cover, you know, I think the, the, the thing that you mentioned there, Brent, concerning that Cinco and weightless, you know, that's going to give you some feedback on where those fish are. Pay attention, you know, when they hit that bait. If it doesn't, if it's not on the bottom when they hit it, obviously it's coming through the water column at a slower pace. You know, that's obviously all that information is going to give you feedback. So uh, I'm sure you just made Matt in Columbia, South Carolina's day with your information. But what conditions do you find the most difficult to fish and how do you approach that, Brent? You know, anytime there's a, a sudden change in weather or water conditions, you know, it, uh, that's always one of the toughest for me is, you know, severe cold front or the water level drops, you know, a couple feet real fast or if the water level comes up really fast, which rising water is always easier to fish than falling water. But when the conditions change very quickly, the fish always seem to kind of just get in a weird mood. The best thing I can do, you know, say is just try and slow down if you can. And it's so hard to do, especially in a you know, tournament situation for me, when the fish aren't biting, then you're constantly thinking of your next spot. And when you're constantly thinking of your next spot, you tend to speed up the fish too fast. And I think the best thing you can do in all situations is just slow down. And it's not necessarily just work the bait slower, but concentrate on the cast that's immediately in front of you, the cast that's going on right now. Because when you're not doing that, you're thinking too far ahead and you're not paying attention to that cast. And what happens is you just, you're not fishing it. You're just going through the motions and basically reeling it in. Cast that bait out. Think about what it's doing there on the bottom. Or if it's a crankbait, think about that bait and that wobble and that thing bouncing off those rocks down there and paying attention to it. And I'm telling you, it will, you will get more bites because if you fish too fast, you're ending up pulling it away from the fish. Well, we're coming into the summer season, and, you know, it's that time of year where us anglers, we got plenty of company on the lake, from skiers, boaters, sailors, jet skiers. How much do you think traffic affects fish and fishing, and what kind of adjustments do you make? You know, I think that uh, a lot of lakes that are accustomed to having a ton of traffic, I've actually had the fishing get better with more boat traffic. And that tends to be when their fish are offshore, when they're a little bit deeper. 
it seems like all that commotion actually helps the fish start to bite a little bit, a little bit better. So the time where it tends to hurt is if you're fishing shallow, and let's say it's in a body of water that has, you know, kind of a sandy, muddy bank, and it creates mud lines. And sometimes the mud line can actually hurt fishing, where let's say you're tight fishing, or let's say you're fishing shallow cover, and it all of a sudden stains up because of the boat traffic. That tends to hurt it sometimes, but for the most part, in the lakes, they're really accustomed to having that much traffic. I honestly think it helps the fish bite better. So, you know, sometimes you're out there and it's just too calm and not much going on, and you can't wait for the jet skiers to get out there. You can't wait for the wakeboarders to get out there and start creating those big you know, wakes and creating commotion out there because it gets everything stirred up. You know, it gets the bait moving, gets the fish moving, and you know, hopefully they start biting again. But, you know, it really does vary from lake to lake, and you just kind of have to take each situation uh you know, differently. Well, in in Steve's case, Brent, that's uh, mainly for the scenery is when he likes to see those things start coming out. But uh, no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but okay, up next for you, I believe, is the Potomac River, one of my uh, just, uh, I just love that place. What kind of fishery is it and how will you kind of break that down or approach it briefly? You know, the Potomac River, is, it's a tidal water fishery. You know, so basically what you have is you have a fluctuation of the tide every day and you have, you know, high tide, low tide and, you know, everything in between. And it can be tough to fish, but I, I absolutely love fishing there. The reason for that is it's very similar to the California Delta that I have back home. The thing that's funny about that type of lake or that type of system is that you could be in, the, in the, the best spot on the river and be there at the wrong time and not get a bite. And you go back at the right time, you know, the right tide, because they all want to bite at a certain tide. If you get back there at the right tide, I mean, you can absolutely load the boat quick. And that part I like. It's tough to find the spots, but it is a lot of fun because when you get around them, it can be very, very fun. You know, the other thing about it is that it's good. You know, it's just a shallow water fishery. I mean, you're just going to be fishing shallow grass, and, and that to me is very fun fishing. You can flip, you can throw reaction baits, and you can just fish in that zero to four feet of water. It's just a real, very fun fishery. Well, of course, uh, you know, you mentioned California and that it. You know, fishing out there in some of the tidal waters is similar to the Potomac. Do you think tidal effects are, are pretty similar on most bodies of water? Or do you think that there are uh, particular bodies of water that tides affect fish differently? I think they're fairly similar. And what I've found is that at the California Delta, I've been there certain times when the fish only bite on a low outgoing tide. And if you're not around the, those areas at low outgoing tide, you're just not going to catch them. And then I've been there when they only bite at a high, you know, at a high tide. And it doesn't matter if it's ingo incoming or outgoing, but just as long as it's that real high tide, that's when they bite better. When it gets low, you can't catch them. At the, the Potomac, I found the same thing is that, you know, sometimes you find them when it's at high, sometimes it's at low. But the similarity between the two is that it's always different when you get there. You have to find that key tide to know when you need to be at your best spots at what time. And it seems like when you find that right tide, it's not a, oh, I need to hit this spot at the high tide and this spot over here at low tide. It's, I need to capitalize on this tide because that's what I'm going to catch them. And that's the thing that's very similar between the two is that it varies. So like right now when I go there, I don't know if I need to be at my best spot, you know, at low tide. I'm going to have to go out and fish that first day and just be aware of, you know, what tide these 
you know, my bikes are coming at and just know that that's going to be my time. You know, I have to be at my best areas at that time. So it just, it varies. And again, it's one of those things you don't know from year to year what it's going to be. Well, as always, Brent, all good stuff. Uh, before we head to break, is there anything that you would like to share with the listeners before we let you go? I don't think so. I think that, uh, you know, I guess I'm fairly close to you. You guys are pretty close to Table Rock, right? Oh, yes. Yeah, we are right on Table mm-hmm. Rock. <laughs> right on Table Rock. Well, you know, I wish I was over there right now. You know, Beaver Lake is a fun lake right now. I know Table Rock has been phenomenal in the last two weeks, so I really wish I could be out there. You know, if anybody's close by, you have to run out and fish Table Rock right now because I know the fishing is very good. So get out there and, and try a couple of those lucky craft baits, and, and hopefully it'll catch a few. Well, consider it that you have an open invitation anytime, Brent, and uh, certainly look forward to talking with you again, and we wish you continued success on the trail. Thanks so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. At Legend Boats, we have one agenda, to build the finest bass boat on the water. It's our passion. Our hand-laid hulls and zero-tolerance stringer and transom system give you a smooth, dry ride, even in the rough stuff. The Alpha 211 with its massive fishing platform. The Alpha 199, fast and stable. And coming soon, the Alpha 191, a 19-footer with a style, attitude, and a price value all its own. Legend Boats, catch the wave, ride with a legend. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the PowerPole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com. Find a dealer near you. It is always so great to hear from Brent. He is on fire right now, but really, that's not unusual because he's just so consistent out there. Well, he is, and, you know, he's very methodical, brings in a lot of his pre-practice plans, I think, is really what places him in a top echelon uh, of bass fishermen that are out there. And like you said, I think consistency is the best way to describe him. And certainly, you know, he does not bookend himself into just always using one particular bait. Like he told us, you know, he keeps an open mind and is willing to do whatever it is that he feels that the fish are going to respond to to put him in a position to win the tournament. Well, it's great. I can't wait to have him back. Well, Aaron, we got another listener question, and I'm going to let you answer this because I know you like to use braid, and, and I'm not a huge fan myself. And this is from Ben, and this is cool, from Idaho. I think it's our first question from Idaho, but this is Ben from Star Idaho. And Ben wants to know, when selecting a braided line for a casting reel or a spinning reel, I've noticed that some of the boxes specifically designed for each type. What makes braided line specific to one type of reel? And can I buy one type and spool up either reel? Thank you. Well, Ben, um, certainly congratulations on having your question chosen for one of the questions chosen for this week's BassTackleDepot.com. And in doing so, you are going to receive a $25 gift card to spend however you choose. But the best advice that I could give you and pass on is that when I'm selecting braid, you know, a lot of it comes down to being able to cast that. And it depends on if you're using that for a spinning reel 
or if you're using that in a heavy flipping situation to punch vegetation. One of the things that I always do is take, you know how you have a little bit of that that's protruding from the box so that you can actually see the color, you can see the texture, all that type of stuff. I'll pull a little bit of that out and then I will actually bend that or try and put a kink in that. I'm looking for something that has less memory, meaning it doesn't have quite as much of that wax or that coating on it to where it's going to reflex back into its original straight line position. Reason being is because that can present a lot of problems of being able to make long cast, especially when it comes to spinning reels. As that comes off, you want that to come off freely. And when it has that, that extra memory or that stiffness or that coating, however it is that you want to phrase that, I've really had some complications with that. You know, Steve, you bring up as far as using braid. Braid is, is actually kind of one of the things that I stayed away from early on. But then I had through several discussions and just also experience of, of getting out, trying it, experimenting with it, I've really learned to appreciate the effectiveness of braid, not just for fishing vegetation, but really even more so, believe it or not, using on my spinning reel for applications such as drop shotting, for applications such as throwing that shaky head. Those two in particular, most often, you know, people don't associate braided line with using in a light line or a finesse style of bait is because of stretch. You know, when I am sitting over top of fish, fishing vertically, drop shotting, there is no stretch. So if you're trying to bring a spotted bass that you're catching in 40 or 50 foot of water and you're fishing vertically, we know that those fish are coming from below. They're hitting that bait very fast. When you set that hook, you want no stretch so that you can drive that hook through the side of those fish's mouth. Also, when using, let's say, on a shaky head, same thing. How many times have we heard one of the biggest frustrations when people are throwing a shaky head is they lose fish? And I firmly believe when you're fishing for smallmouth, you know, whose mouths are very hard, using that light wire hook that's smaller in diameter to be able to get that hook through the side of that mouth, braid, no question, helps you feel more bites, and it's going to help you get that hook driven through the side of the mouth. Now, I do not run braid all the way down to the actual hook. What I'll do is put about 8 to 10 feet of fluorocarbon line using a blood knot, tie that onto my braid, which is my main uh, source of line that's actually held on the reel. This way here in the clear water reservoirs, it's going to cut down on them being able to see braid because we all know braid obviously is more noticeable in water versus fluorocarbon. So Ben, hopefully this is going to help you, but that's really some of the tricks that I use when selecting braid, regardless of the application. Well, there you go. Kind of everything you ever wanted to know about braid. You know, I was talking to Rick Klun not long ago, and he mentioned that he thought braided line puts off more vibration in the water. So there's times when he won't use it just when the fish are very, very sensitive that he goes away from it for that. So, you know, I, I take his word for that for sure. Absolutely. And, you know, I don't think braid is, is by no means is it the cure-all. I don't like when I'm fishing around a lot of wood. I don't like using it because it will, if, if you're throwing over logs and stuff like that, it does actually cut into the wood. Um, therefore, I, I tend to hang up baits a lot more. Obviously, those super lines are very strong. They last forever. I do find, especially, you know, on my casting and spinning reels alike, I, I typically, I don't use near as much line when using braid because it lasts so long. But regardless, like I said, Ben, hopefully you can take something from there. That'll uh, help get you positioned up there in Idaho as far as when to use braid and, and how to make that choice. And once again, congratulations for uh, receiving that $25 gift card to BassTackleDepot.com. Steve, once again, we're just moving right along, and we have Pam Martin Wells on standby to uh, talk a little bit about fishing vegetation right here on Bass Edge Radio. 
Now you can harness the full power of your boat electronics and catch more fish. Introducing Electronics 101. Whether a beginner or more advanced, leading electronics instructor Mike Webb shows you how to get the most out of any sonar unit. Common problems and frequently asked questions are covered in detail. Electronics 101 also includes bonus deep fishing tips from industry pros. Master any brand graph. Order your DVD by calling 888-390-8780 or online at BassEdge.com. Under the lily pads, in a lake near you, live bass happy and free until one man with a huge resume and immeasurable experience building the finest rods in the world changed everything. Gary Tobbins offers three full lines of tournament winning rods. The Champion Extreme, Champion, and Savvy Series. Tobbins Rods. When fishing is more than a hobby. Hi, I'm Moses Mokawahi. I'm Sean Hernke. Hi, I'm Jared Littner. Hey, I'm Brent Ayler, and you're on the edge. Well, Pam, it's certainly great to talk to you again, and I hope you're doing well. How in the world is Stephen doing? He's mean as ever. No, he's, he's doing good. We're, uh, you know, we've been doing a little fishing and having fun and just enjoying life. Well, that's what it's all about. You know, Pam, it got me to thinking prior to uh, our interview, you know, we just came out with the, the Bass Edge Season 3 DVD where we were fishing, actually, I don't know if you remember that, down on the St. John's River and paying close attention, obviously, <laughs> to the tides and... Uh, we're talking earlier to Brent Ayler about tidal influences. You know, I'd kind of like to know what your strategy is to fishing a tidal river. And, and you know, let's just take the St. John's, for instance. Well, to be perfectly honest with you, Aaron, uh, tide really messes my little pea brain up because it's never as predictable as the book say it says it will be and we think it will be because it's all influenced by wind, the moon phase, this and that. And I'll, you know, I'll pay attention to it and look at various things, but for the most part, I go fishing. And then when, when things start happening, I'll pay attention maybe more so to what tide it is at that time because, like I say, not too long ago, Stephen and I were doing a TV show actually at Port St. Joe, and when we were on one side of the lake, the, the tide was going east. When we got on the other side of the lake in the same area the tide was going west and i was like well now that's just that's exactly why it messes me up but it wow. was influenced by by two different bays so there's a lot of variables there and uh i'm not really used to tidal fishing but we had a blast st john's when i filmed that show with you it well, was awesome it, it, it was awesome and you know one of the things that i do remember that we were able to capitalize on was you know you often hear when the tide does start to move it's it's almost like you know flipping a light switch yeah it is and 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 you know having said that i don't pay that much attention to the tide I, we really did there because we knew just as soon as it switched incoming to outgoing it was it was like flipping a switch and those those big fish just went to feeding like crazy and you know bass are opportunistic however i want to try to say that you know they just sit there and lay and wait for that current to bring the food to them well pam you're known as is uh one of the very hard working anglers in this business and i'd like to hear you uh tell our some of our younger anglers uh what do you do that makes you so successful that some of the young guys might not realize well, the first and foremost is just is believing in what you're doing if you don't if you don't believe in what you're doing i do a lot of homework i do a lot of studying internet magazines tv you name it i do it and uh but like I say, the biggest thing is is being confident in what you're doing. For example, if I'm in if I'm in a boat with somebody and and they're just catching fish on a purple with 
pink polka dotted worm or whatever, and I put one on. I don't feel like I'm gonna catch fish on it. I'm not gonna catch fish on it. I mean, you got you got to have confidence. Well, and I know that was certainly true. You know, when we fished together in the past before Pam, I, you you always seem to kind of have an arsenal of go-to baits that when the fishing gets tough, whether it be from a cold front, whether it be, a, you know, whatever the weather situation or the condition, you know, responds, because those are things that we can't control. You always seem to kind of dive into that, that arsenal of baits that you go to. What are some of those baits? Number one is probably a worm, a plastic worm. That's probably the, the best all around, but, uh, you know, a crankbait, I've caught an awful lot of fish on a crankbait, and I, I actually think I've used a crankbait quite a bit when we fished with you. But, uh, you know, that, and uh, there's a various wide variety of things, you know. I, I use a jerkbait a lot because when fish are sluggish and, and, and that such, but there's a wide variety. That's why people joke when I'm in a tournament, I'll have 20 rods on the deck of the boat. And I had a partner one day said, I want to ask you a question. I said, go ahead. She said, you've got 20 rods laying on the duck boat, and you've only picked up one all day long. Why is that? I said, because if I get a hankering or a gut feeling to throw something, it's right there. And I can pick it up and throw it. And then if it works, great. If it don't, I can go back to what I was doing. So that's another key, I think, is being versatile and being open-minded and not getting just stuck on one particular thing well and and certainly i think that's what brings you know kind of success to you as as an angler and you know i i've often wondered is when you're out and, and you know you get that instinct or that feeling is there a difference between you know presenting the bait laterally or higher in the water column versus going to the bottom let's say and throwing that plastic worm and, and you know what factors are you kind of uh, using to to make that decision. A lot of times in in situations like that, you kind of let the the fish tell you what they want. You know, if you if you're fishing a plastic worm and they hit it halfway down, then you know they're suspended. So you you know then you can throw a crankbait that goes a certain depth or whatever. So like I say, there again, that's being open minded, not being stubborn and saying I'm going to catch them on a jig or a crankbait or top water or whatever. You got to be open minded. Let the fish tell you what they want to do because more often than not, the fish does not think like we do. <laughs> <laughs> well, Pam, we're going to get you to help us with a listener question, and we've got a uh, a pretty broad question here from Matt in Columbia, South Carolina. And Matt says he lives on a lake near Columbia. The lake has varying depth with about 25 feet at its deepest point. The shoreline is grassy with lots of trees in and around the water. What should I do to catch fish here? Fishing off of the dock usually yields nice brim, but I don't want to catch big, largemouth bass. What would be the best bait? I also have access to a boat. So traveling is not a problem. And that's Matt in South Carolina. That kind of depends on the time of year. But say in the summertime, you know, you'd want to get off a little deeper, some points, some drops, some points of the timber, some points of the grass, or, you know, underwater humps, that kind of thing. If you have access to find those things and you can use that, you use a worm or a crankbait or something like that on those deals. If it's in the springtime, of course, they're going to be up shallow spawning, so that's when you really want to concentrate on the grass around the edge, even especially when the brims start bedding during the summertime. The, the bass come up and they feed on those brims, so a lot of times we'll catch big bass around brim beds. Well, at that time, Pam, are you, you know, when those brim are up shallow, 
and you say the bass are feeding, do you change your, your bait colors or your presentation to match more of the brim, or are you sticking with more of your traditional uh, shad, bait fish, you know, crayfish style of bait? No, I'll, I'll go with something that's more brim colored. Uh, a lot of things that have orange in them works well around here anyway, you know, little top water baits and stuff. You know, a small popper because the brim then will feed on the little flies and, and that kind of thing. So it's kind of a combination, you know, the little the little popper with a little orange on it is usually probably the best bait, but a fluke-type bait, that kind of thing, soft plastic jerk bait, that, that works really well, too. Well, Pam, you started fishing at a very young age with your family. How important was that upbringing for both your fishing career and then just life in general? You know, that was that was very important, very instrumental. Like, you know, at, like you say, at a very young age, our parents used to take us out camping and fishing, and that instilled, you know, a love of the outdoors and, and trying to preserve what we have because if we don't take care of what the good Lord's given us, you know, it's not going to be around for future generations. So, you know, that was that was very important. And, and like I say, it's just more than anything, it was, it was the family bond. And, and I think, you know, that's... That's what this generation we're in now needs to realize is it's not so much about self. We need to get back to the family unit and, and get out and enjoy the outdoors. And you'd be amazed what you can see and hear and do out from in front of a computer screen or a TV screen. Well, that is for sure, Pam. And uh, certainly I know that, you know, I was one of the lucky ones in being introduced to that at a young age. I, I sec- certainly second uh, what you just brought up. And, you know, s- speaking of kind of your background and, and where you reside now, you know, it's no secret that you guide on Lake Seminole in, in southern Georgia. And it's one of those vegetation-filled lakes that uh, we talked about a little earlier in the interview. Can you walk us through, I guess, some of the seasonal patterns there on your home lake? Yeah, you know, this uh, Lake Seminole was, was an awesome lake to grow up and learn to fish for various reasons, but but this lake has a wide variety of different covers and techniques that you can use, so it was a great learning place. I mean, because we got rivers, we got creeks, we got rocks, we got grass, we got stumps. So it's got a combination of everything, you know. But uh, in the spring, our fish will get up in the in the flats, not necessarily in the backs of creeks, because we don't have a whole lot of major creeks and coves on this lake. But uh, they'll get up on the flats and some sandbars and stuff, and that's really awesome because you can throw a Carolina rig, believe it or not, in two foot of water and catch some monster bass. And then right now, the grass is starting to top out, so a spro frog is heart-stopping on this lake. And then once it gets on into the summertime a little bit, you know, some some points of grass and points of the timber off the creek channels with deep diving crankbaits and worms and jigs, you know, it's just amazing. This is a great lake. I think it's uh, underrated as far as the, the fishing. You know, we don't, have, we don't catch a lot of 10 and 12 pounders, but the quality of fish like is just outstanding. And, and anybody that wants to go to a lake that has a lot of vegetation in it, I always tell them when they come here is not to be intimidated by the grass because it's it's all relative. You know, bass doesn't know, I say doesn't know, but it, it's all relative in that a bass here is going to relate to a point of grass. A bass up north is going to relate to a point of rocks. So when you come here, you just got to keep an open mind and look at it in the bump scheme of things and say, okay, there's a point, there's a pocket, and not just look out there and go, oh, my goodness, look at all that grass. That's what I tell people when they come here. 
Well, Pam, you know, we fished Lake Seminole in our first season of Bass Edge, and, and the temperature, the water temperature, dropped drastically. The air temperature alone dropped 13 degrees overnight, and, you know, we really struggled. What advice, kind of, you know, given the violent weather patterns that we find ourselves here in the in the late spring, heading into early summer, what advice would you have given us back then, I guess, in hindsight? Well, here especially, uh, this lake's got Florida strain bass in it, and uh, Florida strain bass just do not do front swell. I mean, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be in the spring. It can be in the summer. But mild little fronts here affect these fish dramatically, so... You know, when when that kind of situation happens, the only thing you can do is, I go back to this confidence thing again, is, is go back to your confidence areas and pick a bait that you have confidence in and just really work it hard and work it slow. You know, the, the fish get very lethargic. They don't they don't want to bite. They're just kind of hanging out waiting to see what's going to happen, you know. I kind of use the analogy. It's kind of like us during a thunderstorm, you know. We hunker down and wait to see what's going to happen before we get out and start mowing the grass or whatever but sure you know it's basically the same thing with the fish it, it interrupts their whole system their whole environment so they kind of just hunker down and you know you just have to slow down and be very thorough does a cold front affect a lake with vegetation the same as lakes that don't have any vegetation or is it differently what's been your experience in that it affects it the same but yet different uh, and, and that's that's kind of strange, but, but especially early in the spring here, a cold front will really put our fish up underneath the vegetation because a lot of times this dying and, and decaying vegetation puts off a heat. It depletes oxygen a little bit, but it but it puts off a heat. So there's you know there's a lot of times during the early early spring where we can flip really shallow water, even though the water's cold because the fish have moved back under there, I'd say it's kind of like a blanket. So in that aspect, a lake with vegetation is different. But I think as a whole, the cold fronts, it's all about the barometric pressure and all that stuff and stuff that's way above my head that, that animals know about that us humans just read about. <laughs> Sure, sure. Well, you know, speaking of, of lakes with, you know, a lot of vegetation or, or, or thick mats, what are some of your, you know, favorite techniques for kind of sorting through that and actually getting the bait into the strike zone where the bass are going to respond? There again, Aaron, that, that depends on the seasonal pattern. But like during the summer, you know, we'll use a spro frog uh, or flip the mat. And then you kind of got to pick it apart and see if they're on the edges or up in it. And we've even had to go up to an ounce and a half tungsten weight. So sometimes it's a slow kind of fishing, but once you find them, they're usually grouped up. And uh, if you can take all the vegetation away and, and, and go over it with your depth finder, you'll find that there's something there. There's a point there. There's a ditch there. There's something. So, you know... Like I said earlier, it's all relative. We just can't necessarily always see it. But when you're fishing that kind of thing, you need to pay close attention where you get a strike, when you get a strike, concentrate on those areas, and then that way you can eliminate 90% of the grass. Well, and, and you kind of lead me right into my next question, because I've been to a lot of lakes, you know, like you have down there, full of vegetation. And sometimes, you know, it's just a feeling of, of being overwhelmed because it, it all sort of looks the same. Help me out a little bit and elaborate on, on kind of what you just alluded to. Where where should I start to figure out a lake like that? best thing I can tell you is take the seasonal pattern. Like I said, it's relative. The structure is relative whether we're in the south with grass or up north with rocks. So if, if you're coming from an area in that particular time of year, whatever it may be, you would be fishing a point of rocks or, or whatever, 
or a pocket or cove or a ditch, you'd look for the same thing down here in the grass. As it's, you know, like I say, it's, it's all relative. You got, you got to look at what they're relating to rather than look out there and just see this mass amount of grass. So you got to pick out a pocket. You got to pick out a point. You got to pay attention to your depth finder. And if there's a little depression, those kinds of things. So essentially, you know, it's, it's no different than, let's say, like a, a lake that has a tremendous amount of docks, you know, private and commercial docks. It's, it's really not per se just the individual dock. It's the contour that is basically lying under the water surface and kind of how that relates to the ambush points and the, and the terrain underneath the water. That's exactly what I'm trying to say. And, but it is. It's overwhelming when you come here and all you can see is 10 acres of solid grass. But, you know, you, you got to put it all into perspective. Well, in closing, Pam, because I know we're about out of time here, but one of the things that you just mentioned a little bit earlier was referencing, you know, the use when you're punching mats and, and flipping the use of a tungsten weight. Why is tungsten so important, you know, and why is that your preference over the traditional, you know, more lead weights? Well, there, there's a lot of different things, but... uh First and foremost, when you're flipping and that kind of thing, tungsten is, is considerably smaller than lead, so it goes through the vegetation in that a lot easier. But also, it's it's much harder than lead, so it transfers the feel a lot better. You know, once you wiggle a, a lead weight down through the grass and stuff, you know, it's, it's all just kind of dull, per se. Um, with the tungsten, you can feel just about everything in the slightest little bite because it's so hard, it transfers the vibrations and whatever, and you can feel a lot better with the tungsten. Well, that's all good stuff, Pam. I wish we had more time, but as always, consummate professional, thanks so much for sharing your information, and uh, wish you the best of luck in the rest of the season and look forward to having you again right here on The Edge. Thank you. Why did they consistently win? Why did they know about all the latest and greatest baits? BassTackleDepot.com, of course. BassTackleDepot.com is your headquarters for all your bass fishing needs. With over 100 different manufacturers in stock, including Dobbins Rods, Bassaholics Clothing, Boat Bling Cleaning Products, Black Dog, Pepper Baits, Gene LaRue, Jack Allure Company, McCoy Line, not to mention a talented staff of hardcore anglers ready to assist your every need. It's no wonder Bass Tackle Depot is where the pros shop. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. KeelGuard keel protectors. Well, Steve, it sure is nice to be able to catch up with our old friend, Pam Martin-Wells. And, uh, you know, I, I just really felt that vegetation, obviously being from kind of the Midwest and, you know, not having a lot of that experience early on fishing vegetation, I always find that, you know, being able to chat with, with those who grew up that, you know, fishing vegetation and, and those scenarios, it, it's nice to hear how really they just simplify it and break it down and just kind of tell you hey it's not necessarily about the grass it's about the topography that lies under the water surface well that's true and of course you know i grew up in texas around a lot of grass and if i didn't 
pull a bunch of junk off my beta every couple of casts. I, I, I didn't know what I wasn't comfortable. But, you know, that's a good, you know, that's something good to talk about, uh, vegetation, because we're getting into summer, and it's a, it's a good place to look for fish. But, you know, also getting to summer, we start going out, you know, looking for fish out on the offshore structure. And, of course, you're the table rock guy, and we've got so much great structure, and, and you do so much fishing on deep structure. Give us a quick run-through of, of how you approach structure when you start looking and what kind of structure you're looking for well you know uh, seasonal conditions here we are in may uh you know in parts of the country specifically in the midwest obviously down south the spawn's already over so it's full-blown post-spawn there's a few lagging spawners here in the midwest but you get further north you're still dealing with the spawn some pre-spawn and obviously heading into post-spawn but i really believe once the spawn is over independent of where you're at geographically structure is the number one key that you have to look for and that could mean a dock that could mean vegetation that could mean a rock pile wood timber what have you i predominantly like to look for things that are offshore i feel that it does not get as much pressure you know by those individuals that's just basically setting their trolling motors down and running the bank but i really like keying in on you know docks that are adjacent to deep water uh, anything that has the ability for fish to move up and down or vertically in the water column to where they don't have to swim a long ways off of a flat i want it adjacent to deeper water because i feel as that water temperature warms that is ultimately where they're heading for the kind of the the summertime haunts if you will and uh, you know i think also as the weather changes you know here we are in may kind of uh, violent weather patterns that's going on you always have a front that's moving through at some point in time i believe you know you look at that trifecta that we talk about so often meaning security comfort and food all they have to do is just move up and down vertically and if they're adjacent to that structure it provides an ambush point to be able to ambush whatever prey it is that they're seeking out so you know that's what i'm looking for as far as baits if if they're more lateral or suspended in the water column then obviously i'm going to go with a deep diving crankbait even throwing a, a drop shot trying to set over them vertically perhaps they're suspended over some submerged trees uh, that's down deep or just bringing a uh, you know a spinner bait or something like that jerk bait or a swim jig I think is often overlooked next to a, a weed edge or a dock edge to where they'll come out from under that shade ambush that bait and go from there we then go over into more of the timber you know Steve and one of your old favorites is just the plastic worm I love taking a big giant you know 10 12 14 inch plastic worm and yo-yoing it through those treetops and that's another good way to be able to target suspending fish in that structure. So a lot of different things to throw at you, but those are certainly some of my favorites. Well, of course, growing up in Texas and then moving up here to these highland lakes, you know, one of the things that strikes me about that is that here we have these enormous drop-offs and these huge humps because we fish on flooded hills. But, uh, you know, in Texas, I was always just amazed at how minor the structure could be that would hold fish, whether it be like a ditch, a hump, or a drop-off, it could be just a few feet to hold fish. I remember one of the best days of fishing I ever had on a hot July day on Lake Fork, and we were catching fish over a hump that was like two feet tall. Wow. And then, of course, you couple in, you know, I have 
great point on the humps because then you couple in the summer generation schedules when we know as that water warms up, becomes stagnant. We saw this, noticed this on Rayburn when we were fishing with Sean Hernke down there. I, I mean, it goes back to just as much as like the tidal situation. That water starts to move. They stack up on those humps. Man, be able to throw a Carolina rig. And like you said, it doesn't take a, just this huge gyration in change. You know, if you're down south, a ditch could be six or eight inches of difference in depth versus you know something up here that we're maybe looking at at uh, 10 15 feet so it's all relative to the conditions where you're at and look for natural structure too remember when we talked with pam about fishing in florida the one of the pieces of structure that we were fishing on was a piece of pipe yeah and, and you know so and and look at like commercial rivers or when you get into navigable rivers uh, where they're running barge traffic how many times have you seen pieces of steel and barges and and i can remember down on the atchafalaya basin with denny brower we were catching fish off of this old old barge or tugboat or thing that was you know hard telling how long it had been out there but uh it was just it was sunk you know right out there in the middle of the, of the lake well, structure means different things in different places absolutely and steve unfortunately we are out of time I want to thank you so much uh for your contribution today it's always fun uh, doing this with you and also we want to throw out a thanks to our listeners just uh, joining us you have helped make this a lot of fun we love hearing your feedback continue to send in those questions I want to remind you, each and every episode, we're giving away BassTackleDepot.com gift cards to spend however you choose. If you have not checked us out on Facebook, please do. That's where we're keeping track of everything, all things Bass Edge. And uh, certainly, as we had mentioned earlier in the broadcast, be sure to check out the latest DVD, Season 3 DVD from Bass Edge, and that can be found on the Bass Edge website. In the meantime, have a great time out on the water. Best of luck both on and off the water. Thanks so much for joining Steve Brigman and I right here on Bass Edge. The Edge is presented by Kill Guard Kill Protector. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit www.bassedge.com. And be sure to be with Steve Brigman and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Legend Boats, BassTackleDepot.com, PowerPole, Dobbins Rods, Mercury Outboards, and Rapaholic.com. <laughs>